Dear Broadies, before I get to the episode, I want to take a moment to address the June 24th, 2022 Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the right to have a safe and legal abortion in the United States. Everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and their families, including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety, and could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions in this country. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans and people who live in America. Learn more by visiting choice.crd.co. That's choice.crd.co. If you're able to support others, please consider donating to abortion funds. You can find a list of where to donate in each state at donationsforabortion.com. That's donations, the number four, abortion.com. I have personally started donating to states where trigger laws go into effect immediately. Remember, even if you can only spend $1 or $5, that helps. There are things we can do to fight this, and it is going to take continued focus and community support. So I encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. Hello, hello, my dear broadies. I am coming at you today on a very special day, and that is the one-year anniversary of the very first episodes of the Pod Broads that were published last year on February 10th, 2021. Those episodes were with Jessica Lignato and Lauren Williams, and it's amazing how relevant they still are, especially since I recorded them actually in the summer of 2020. So we're coming up on two years since those conversations were actually recorded. And it's funny, I was thinking back to a part of my conversation with Lauren, because we talk about kind of the mental strain that social media can have, and the mental strain of kind of working on your own work and being you know, one of the only people that is keeping it up and running and when you just really need to take a break. And as you all know, that's kind of what I've been doing here on this feed. I've really been trying to give myself a break and it's also happening on some of my social media platforms. And I'm not going to lie and say that it's super easy to do that because you hear all the time consistency, 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 right? And there is value in that and there's truth in that, that those that can be the most consistent tend to continue their engagement levels and their reach and being able to share the work that they are doing to the biggest audience possible. And it also, for me, comes up as like, I want to make sure that I'm showing up for the people who've been so supportive, you all, um, through the time that I've been creating this work. And so in part, I feel like I'm letting you all down if I don't post consistently. And I have to take a step back and remind myself what Lauren said in that that episode. And know that, you know, your people are going to be there for you. They are going to show up for you even after you take a break, because we're all human, and we all need to be able to take breaks. And so I'm just in a period of time where I am continuing to remind myself of that and also knowing that by taking some breaks then I can come back and create content that's even better and continues to evolve and that especially after a year of doing this podcast is what I want to continue to do and it's crazy to reflect on a year of doing this podcast and seeing how it's not just the podcast that has evolved and changed but it's also me along with it and my work outside of it I remember sharing something on Instagram a while ago and it actually ended up being something that I spoke about when I was a guest on the best advice podcast and it was about not being afraid to quote yourself and it was also the mentality of like loving my own voice and I really do believe and see how doing this podcast has kind of made me fall in love with my own voice like literally the sound of it and It's something that I want for all of us, especially the women listening, because I know that we are consistently told to be so self-critical of the tone of our voice, the, you know, the, the crackliness that comes along with it sometimes when we vocal fry, even though everyone vocal fries. Um, And I just think it's been a really wonderful gift to be able to not just consume my own voice in this medium, but 
to be able to speak with so many women that I admire so deeply and whose conversations that I've had over the course of, you know, almost two years of recounting recording time, who have literally changed my life. And my hope is that they've done that with you too in listening to their stories and what they share when they come onto this podcast. And a year in, I am not slowing down at all despite the break, but I continue to see and know very deeply the need for these voices and this space as the podcasting industry continues to grow. And I'm so grateful to each and every one of you who has been there along the way as a listener, as a guest, as people who have written reviews, who have shared about the podcast. I am so, so deeply grateful and you have been a huge part of this. So I also just want to say thank you and thank you for listening to this today. And, you know, if you want to celebrate the year in, if this podcast has been meaningful to you in any type of way, I hope you'll share it with someone that you also think will love it and benefit from it. I hope that you'll leave it a review if you haven't already shown it love in some electronic form, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or, you know, Spotify, I guess, is also doing it now, too, which is quite exciting. So if you do have a moment for that, that would be amazing. And today I am going to replay not the very first episode that was published, but the very first episode that I ever recorded. And that episode is actually episode three of season one. It's with Rita Petmisai of Healing Out Loud. And it is still just one of my favorite conversations. You know, we really get into a discussion around transgenerational trauma and trauma healing, especially those wounds that we find within our familial relationships. And, you know, as I said about the first two that were published, like it's still so freaking relevant. And I think that if you missed that episode and you didn't listen to it, I implore you to take the time to listen to it today because Rita has so much wisdom to share and also so many laughs. She just makes me smile so big every time I hear her speak and get to speak to her. And I know that you will also have the same reaction. I would be willing to bet on it. And if you did listen to it, you know, basically a year ago, I highly recommend listening to it again because you're going to get some gems from it that you may have missed the first time. But it also just serves as a great reminder, especially where we are right now in our world and the continued work that needs to be done both on an individual and a collective level. And I think that's all. That's what I'm going to leave you all with today. So I really hope you enjoy this look back at my very first recording, which you can definitely hear the progress of not just me as an interviewer, But as a technician, you know, as an editor, as someone who better understands how to record a podcast and, you know, it's just fun to look back and see the progress that you've made. And I am really proud to share my old work, even though it is not as advanced, I guess, in a way you could say, as what I put out now. But that's what's important about kind of looking back at these year anniversaries of the work that you do is getting to see how much you've grown in that amount of time. And I hope that in whatever work that you're doing, you pause and, you know, take a look and really see what has changed. And also, you know, how awesome it was when you started, even though it did have work that needed to be done. So, yeah, happy one year. Um, I just got a little emotional. (laughs) And I'm just so so glad that we're continuing to build this community of broadies and that you're here. So enjoy this old recording. At the very root of it, it's about me saying, Rita, you are enough and what you're doing is enough. And you have all the ability in the world um, to create a space that is right for you and the community that you're trying to serve. And there's always going to be room for growth. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pod Broads. This is a podcast about women in podcasting, and I'm your host, Alexandra Cole.
hello, hello, hello. Okay, welcome back. Um, I don't know about you all, but this past week, I've been thinking about long game relationships and how things come together when you are in alignment. This has been something I've been thinking about for a while, but in particular last week as I've been connecting and reconnecting with a bunch of people. And every time I listen through this next interview I'm about to share with you, my heart is not only just so full, but it reminds me how relevant that thought is. And today you're going to hear my conversation with Rita Pemisai, who is the host and creator of Healing Out Loud, a podcast, community, and movement centered on the Lao diaspora through storytelling, healing, and tools for sustainability. So I have to tell you, our interview is so serendipitous and is really the perfect complement to those thoughts that I've been having this week. And you'll hear how toward the start of our conversation. And Rita is one of my favorite people to connect and collab with. She has the most infectious laughter and I feel so lucky to have this connection with her and to be able to learn from her, from her content, and to share in our deep appreciation and education and understanding of transgenerational trauma and trauma healing. So part of our conversation definitely dives into that. It also dives into her fear of rejection, where that really stems from, something I think is probably going to resonate with a good amount of you. And we also talk about reimagining the world we want to live in and what we want to change. So toward the end, she makes an important point about embodying that which she preaches and is one of the reasons that I really respect the work that she is doing. But you'll, of course, have to listen through to hear how she actually did that. And one final thing I'll say is we also recorded her conversation in the summer of 2020. So keep that in mind when you're listening to parts of our conversation. Keep a lookout for the next season of Healing Out Loud and bear with the sound. We were both on Zoom for this one, so it might be a little different than what you're used to, but honestly, I think we did pretty good. But enough about that. Here is my conversation with Rita. So instead of me trying to like encompass all of the amazing work that you do, can you go through and just tell a little bit about like yourself separate from work and then some like tell us about the work that you do and what you are focusing on? Absolutely. Um, so my name is Rita Pep Misai. I go by the pronouns she, they, and boo. Um, thank you so much, Alexandra, for having me on Pod Rods. This is an incredible um, experience. I love um, being on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of interviewing, I love being interviewed <laughs> because um, I like talking and I like sharing my experiences. But uh, I'm a child of refugees, specifically child refugees uh, from Thailand. Uh, my mom's from Thailand. My dad is from Laos. Uh, they landed here in 1987 and really by themselves. And so a lot of my story starts with them and, mm-hmm. and how they were able to really create a life for um, themselves as well as uh, me and my brothers. And, you know, a lot of the ways that I do my work is centered around uh, my uh, family's resilience and really trying to replicate that and set it as an example for other loud diaspora refugee children to thrive essentially. And so, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll get into more of that. Um, but besides me being in my work mode, I um, love twerking. I love eating <laughs> Lao food and Asian food. And I love, um, yeah, like just being able to to laugh, enjoy company, um, learning uh, new things um, about the world, drinking boba. And so I, I, I really, you know, enjoy people in, in general and, and getting to humble myself through uh, listening to people's uh, experiences. Um, yeah, that, that's pretty much it for <laughs> me. <laughs> First of all, I mean, I could go on and on and on, but I'm like, I don't know where to stop. <laughs> No, that's that's great. That's great. That's perfect. Um, you, I'm so impressed with like what you're able to bring to that question because when people are like, "Tell me about yourself," I'm like, "Oh God, <laughs> like what am I supposed to say right now?" <laughs> I'm like, "What right, encompass like, me right today? now?" Like, I don't yeah. know who am I today. Exactly. I'm like a bum today. I don't know. <laughs> I think I think you've really just identified for me why that question is so hard because every day it's different. Like it truly is. 
depending on my mental state, like (laughs) depending on like who I interact with, who I meet. And, um, right now I'm in transition, you know, I just Mm -hmm. moved in uh, Los Angeles. And so I am, uh, really all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) Literally, (laughs) literally, physically, metaphysically, like mentally, all of those things. Um, So before we like really get into podcast specific stuff and kind of life story and how that all intersects, I have to tell you how serendipitous it is that we are currently speaking right now in this particular platform. So um, I'll go a little bit of history for, for our listeners. So last year, we both attended WNYC Studios Work at Festival in LA. And I remember, so it was during TK and Gabrielle Horton's um, presentation, like their talk, and you and your friend were sitting behind me. And while you were like, because Gabrielle was your mentor, right? Because I remember you being like, that's my mentor. Like you were like hyping her up and just like you were like talking to your friend and just kind of like reacting and mentioning your podcast. And I remember sitting there and I had like just started Padreland only like the July before. And I remember being like, Oh, like when this ends, I'm going to turn around and like introduce myself and just like, see if we can like make a contact. And you left a few minutes before. And I was like, shit, like, I was like, I missed that. Like, and then we didn't interact at all. Like the rest of the time, like I just didn't have an opportunity to see you again. And then like after it ended, after everyone came home, um, we have like that Facebook group. Right. And I like posted the thing about doing the features and your friend tagged you in that post. And then God is connected there. And I was like, I was supposed to meet her. Like, it was just like, it really felt like that. I was like, that's wild. Cause it was, it felt like a missed opportunity initially. And then I was like, it's happening. Like, it was really cool. Like I, yeah. I was like, damn, that was like meant to be. Um. <laughs> oh my God. So like, I had no idea. <laughs> You should have just been like, hey, like, stay, you know, stay close. I need to talk to you. I know, (laughs) I know. I was, you know, I was like, just trying to network and like, I was awkward as fuck, like half the time. And I was just like, how do I like, I don't want to interrupt. Like, you know, so, you know, I'm just like, right here, you know, don't interrupt my swag. No, but I, I love that you bring that up now because, you know, I think the universe has this way of bringing like spirits and souls like together who are meant to interact together and mm-hmm. where we are now I mean I love your platform that you've created I love the energy that you bring on there and the intersectionality the feminism like and really confronting a lot of issues you know that we experience um, in terms of you know with white feminism and then you know um, making sure women of color are centered in, in, in the various ways that you know we've been marginalized um, yeah. and so um, I think our platforms have kind of just grown to you know like uh, uh, kind of like feed off each other's energy yeah. it happened organically and mm-hmm. I just love it so thank you for like creating what you created so I could meet you you know yeah. <laughs> yeah totally I mean thank you those such kind words about it too um and it's a perfect lead into this because I want to like make sure it's clear kind of how not just your podcast came to be but in conjunction with like the whole other community that you've created. So like, can you go through a little bit of, of timeline of kind of what came first or where was the inception of that idea? And I know you've mentioned a little bit about just like your personal identity and experience, but what else kind of got that started? And then like, at what point did you think, okay, podcast, like I definitely want to start a podcast along with this. <laughs> <laughs> I love that question because it's like, wow, I would have never imagined myself in high school thinking like, oh yeah, one day I'm going to create a podcast and it's going to impact an entire community, a global diaspora. Never. So I guess to start, you know, I grew up in North Carolina, which mm-hmm. I, I didn't mention yet, but it's a very important part of my identity because we are one of the few Lao Isan refugee families um, in rural North Carolina. I'm not talking about metropolitan where there's people of color, no, no, like conservative, mm. white, Christian dominated, hetero uh, community, very secluded. Um, but, you know, um, my family moved there for reasons to really grow us up and raise us in a um, community that, you know, didn't experience as much physical violence but they didn't know that it would be traded off for like racism and mm-hmm. things of that sort but you know my 
parents, they did the best they, they could. And I mean, it's incredible how I think about my transition from North Carolina to California, but um, backtracking a little bit. I was born in, in California, uh, NorCal specifically, and then uh, my, me and my family then moved at a young age. Um, me and my brother at a young age to North Carolina where we were raised. And then, you know, I went to University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, uh, applied to grad school and got in at UCLA, um, started doing dual masters in Asian American studies and social welfare. And so I started off doing Asian American studies. I didn't know that there was a dual master's degree mm. program in the beginning. But, um, you know, I wanted to do Asian American studies. Didn't know that was a possibility. Um, but when I got <laughs> in, I was like, oh, my God, look at the world of Asian American activism, because that was not a possibility where I was at right. in North Carolina. There was just not um, – like a space for it you know this is before like social media really blew up blew up so uh, for me it's just like introduced to a whole world whole plethora and so I got into ethnic studies I learned about Asian American movements you know yellow pair supports black power and and it mm. spoke to me and so you know I think of course I started my activism you know really talking about women issues um you know, at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, but um, I think it was UCLA that really got me more inculcated in the um, Asian American uh, communities. Uh, and of course, you know, we're center of LA, there's a lot of different ethnic enclaves. And so it, it just opened my, my world up. Um, and then I, you know, had an incredible um, mentor, femtor, big sis, who, you know, is one of my um, folks on my advisory board for Healing Out Loud, my podcast um, now, but, you know, she challenged me to get into the social work program because I wanted to apply not only ethnic studies, you know, in community organizing, but I wanted to really know the specifics of how to apply this, you know, in practice. And so I got in social work and, and did my thing there. And I realized that as I was trying to do you know, more macro work. So I wanted to policy. I wanted to, actually, when I came to UCLA, I actually wanted to uh, do research to inform policy practice to get more Lao Americans into higher education. Okay. Um, I ended up doing storytelling, actually. <laughs> <laughs> As you can tell, like, you know, that's kind of how everything kind of landed for me in terms mm-hmm. of my podcast. I ended up making a short documentary film about my father's story, um, him and his travels, you know, his escape from Laos and meeting my mom in Thailand and then uh, eloping um, together to the United States and starting a family. Um, mm-hmm. So I was able to travel with that film and, and it, I think that really started uh, my journey into my professional work and how do I incorporate my community in my work yeah. um, and not separate that because you know for so long I've been separated from my community my loud community and not by choice but it was through survival means um, that I was like I think it's time to come home now and grad school really provided that that space for me to root myself back mm-hmm. into um, what was important for me was important for my community and how do I bring up um, myself in every single room I enter, you know, whether it be in an academic institution, um, nonprofit world, uh, foundation wise, it's like, you know, because nobody's talking about it. And if you're not there, it's like as if we're in a visible community. Yeah. So I was tired of being invisible for so long. So that's why I advocate so much. Uh, but also it's because my dad also um, is like a rebel. Like, you know, he always wanted to advocate for the Lao community, you know, and there was a civil war that happened in Laos where, you know, he eventually got displaced. And so I think I carry that legacy with me mm. of really trying to find home, yeah. what home means and, and how do I incorporate that into the lives of people who never felt a sense of belonging because from the very inception of whenever they came to the United States, they were seen as other. So for me, it's always about creating that safe space for somebody to feel truly um, wanted in every aspect. So, you know, backtrack a little bit. So <laughs> I know I got a little bit no, deep it's on fine. that. It's so necessary to know. Yeah, yeah. But um, so, you know, grad school. So grad school is very a formative year for me in my healing process. And, you know, when I was in social work, I did psychiatric, I was a psychiatric social work intern where I provided therapy uh, to clients in Long Beach. And then I did wellness programming the next year for um, South LA youth who are predominantly black and brown. And I thought, you know, oh, like I would 
end up doing more macro again, research and uh, and programming, which I ended up back at UCLA and, and, and did programming and coordinating for a couple programs. But everything always landed me back towards like wellness. Mm-hmm. Everything landed me back towards mental health. And it was hard for me to separate that from the community that I cared about so much, the Lao Diaspora, the people that reflect who I am. And so along that journey, so I graduated in 2016. I went to work at UCLA um, for the next few years um, and some incredible people and an incredible supervisor, um, Nikita Gupta, that really um, shaped my worldview on how do I really take care of myself. I'm, ta- I'm not talking about like, oh, yeah, like everybody talks about like, yeah, go get a you know, facial massage or whatnot. But no, like true, true, deep spiritual self-care and learning with my students, too. They were incredible challenged me on so many um, parts and ends. But that experience, I would say, really set the foundation for my own healing process that I then recognized that I had the privilege, first of all, to be able to, I guess, be a part of that experience. Because not everybody gets access to those healing resources. Mm-hmm. And now that I had such an insight, you know, and the experience of transformation, then I was like, then what is my role now? Because I've been building with so many, you know, by this time, you know, it's 2016, I've already been building my connections with all the loud leaders across the nation. Okay. Um, so it was just opportune time. And then at the same time too, met incredible, you know, Lao Americans in um, Los Angeles and Kula, my other big sis mentor. She was an incredible sports system. Uh, started Los Angeles, you know, started off with me and I believe three other um, Lao Americans um, in our first initial group where she would provide mentoring sessions, workshops, you know, at her place was so generous with her time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, this is a different experience. I've never felt like I had a community of Lao American folks that shared some, you know, we shared a linguistic background. That to me was special, but not only that, we were in LA together. We're like struggling together, you know, yeah. housing, you know, we're going through a housing crisis. Like there's so many things that we're, you know, we, we, we could talk about, we could connect about. And we also shared a lot of issues of family trauma too, you know, so it didn't feel so isolating. Mm-hmm. And so as I was seeing all of this unfold in my life, I'm telling you, it was just like, kind of like magic where I was like, oh my gosh, I could see where it can all land. So I had a conversation with Kulap and then a couple of years later after, you know, our Lao American group in Los Angeles grew, or it's called Los Angeles. And mm-hmm. um, so we expanded and, you know, I always wanted to do my own project. I didn't know what type of impact I wanted to make because for me, I was so scared, um, scared of rejection, scared of failure. And I think in the back of my head, I didn't realize it was like, my parents and yeah. um, their own fear of us failing. Um, and because they made it so far and they want the best for us. Uh, but, you know, sometimes with a refugee or immigrant background, it's, you know, you have a very small margin to fail because if you fail, you know, you could lose a lot, mm-hmm. um, especially everything that you build. And so for me, you know, carrying that um, type of pressure, it was a lot and it impacted the way I navigated spaces and navigated uh, the way I did my work and how I would be very afraid of just putting everything out there. It was like, Oh, you know, I put a little bit, you know, I'll, I'll give y'all a little, little some, some, but I wouldn't <laughs> give it my all. <laughs> it's like, because I was scared. Yeah. And then I think, and then finally, um, you know, that conversation I have with Kulab and it's been building up to this point, but Kulab has been such a great, mentor to all of us in Los Angeles to really help us shine. And, you know, this is not the time to be humble. Yes, of course, we've been humble most of our life, but now it's like really time to really put ourselves out there because, um, you know, the next generation needs us and we need them, um, but we need to be grounded for them. So um, I built my confidence up to fail, but fail differently every time. So I think that was probably very uh, instrumental for me to hear because, again, I think that fear was inhibiting me from really creating what I've created now. And yeah. Yeah. If, if I was like, you know, debilitated by my fear, 
look at, you know, all the different lives that, you know, or could still be, you know, I'm not saying, you know, I'm like the God of all healing within our community, but I'm saying that there, there's just something special about a space that you can create that can transform somebody's mindset that can impact the way that they behave and navigate spaces differently. Hey friends, just a brief pause from this conversation so I can tell you about The Wave Podcasting. The Wave is a company that helps women grow their podcasts so they can build an audience and get paid. They offer educational resources and a digital community of which I am a part of and have gotten to meet some pretty dope women and get some great tips along the way. Plus, the founder, Lauren Popish, is a huge reason I have been able to start this podcast. She helped me find the perfect recording equipment for my setup and just get really comfortable with jumping in for the first time. And here's what's cool. They have a free mini guide that will help you kickstart your podcast growth strategy that you can download today by going to the show notes to find the link to their website. And when you're ready, you can purchase a complete guide to podcasting and use my code PODRALAND, P-O-D-D-R-A-L-A-N-D-10 to get 10% off the total cost. So ladies, come podcast. And so, you know, we had a conversation and, you know, I was going through my planning of like this project. And at first I thought it was going to be like a conference because Mm -hmm. we're talking about different ways that we can bring people together in our community that... It would make so that we are a progressive community. We do have a progressive voice. We just haven't had that platform yet. And then, you know, she said like, why don't you start off with a podcast? And I was like, the podcast? Like, you know, <laughs> I was like, I have no experience. I've never thought about that. It never crossed my mind. Yeah. And she's done podcasting for like seven years. She's been successful at it. Um, and so she has that experience and it was cool to have that conversation with her because I never even thought it could be possible, you know, until, Mm -hmm. until it is done. It's done by somebody else who looks like you, you know, who's had similar experiences. So I was like, okay. But then (laughs) it was like 2018 (laughs) and I was like, all right, like, I guess, but then I, but then still like imposter syndrome, I'm telling you, imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. is beast, Um, you know, especially people who've come from, you know, communities of color or women of color, um, people who in general have been oppressed uh, in society. And so for me, I was like, who am I? I kept on questioning myself. Yeah. Who am I to start like a whole movement of healing in the loud <laughs> I know, I know it sounds so like, like, it's just like, wow, read it. That was you. I was like, yeah, that was me. Um, yeah, I'm, it's humbling to share about my growth because again, like, I don't think everybody ever wakes up and has like, a, um, like that, that level of like, oh yeah, I'm going to take over the world type of mentality. Like it took me such a long time. It took me a year. Yeah. Like, and, and, you know, I did research, of course, like, um, you know, I was listening to all these different podcasts and Black Lives Matter movement of creating, you know, healing spaces and making healing spaces accessible and resourceful mm-hmm. for the who've been, you know, experiencing loads and loads of trauma from systemic, like oppression, structural racism. So for me, I was like, you know, what's going on with the entire um, global pandemic, you know, public health crisis of, you know, racism killing up black people right now is like, so relevant um, mm-hmm. to, you know, the work that, that we do. It's like, you know, to honor the black people and the uh, black concepts and people who created this, this work in order to impact other communities. So I always, you know, want to give them yeah. a shout out for um, their labor. And so taken from that specific concept and, idea and reimagination. I had to reimagine what kind of world do I want to live in and do I want my children to live in and specifically my generation because I have felt for so long that my generation has been neglected. Like we are always identifying with being a child of refugees, a child of immigrants, which is there's nothing wrong with that, but I felt like we we're so invested in that role and that position or that identity that we were neglecting who we are and mm-hmm. our experiences. And, you know, when Los Angeles started and we started, you know, becoming more vocal, the 1.5 generation, second generation, I was like, we need a healing space too. And we need, you know, somebody to, to lead it. And I was like, that's what makes me the best person for this. You know, not, not because of my degrees. Of course, my degrees have helped me. I'm so grateful for the community, communities that I've met 
uh, my two awesome cohorts um, that, you know, that came with the program that I was at at UCLA. But then it's beyond that. You know, I had to do the work. I had to really facilitate interpersonal relationships with people that were going to eventually help me promote, you know, this work. And so, you know, all of this was happening at the same time, you know, and then the year took place in 2018 where I was doing all this research and listening to all these different podcasts and seeing the power of it and seeing community transformations. And finally I was like, all right, Rita, I have to set a date. Because it's going to be, you know, the best it can be by this date. Right. Always room to improve. You can only do so much research until you just have to fucking do it. Like that's what I'm saying. And I was like, Rita, you cannot wait for somebody to create the blueprint. You Mm -hmm. are creating the blueprint, and you have to be okay with you know whatever comes with it. Uh, I love that. Yes. Yes. Honestly, (laughs) it was about me being okay with myself at the very root of it is about me saying, Rita, you are enough and what you're doing is enough. And you have all the ability in the world um, to create a space that is right for you and the community that you're trying to serve. And there's always going to be room for growth as it should, you know, it Mm -hmm. it should stay stagnant, you know, I should grow, you know, and you know, things should take off in the, in the way that it, it, it will with the current political climate. And so I finally was able to accept that. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, dang, Rita took you long enough. And, uh, (laughs) and it launched and oh my gosh, launched uh, March 4th, 2019. And I could not have expected it. So it's, it has only been like a little over a year then. You like just yeah. recently celebrated your year. Like, yeah. I'm still that. You. Fuck yeah. That's amazing. Thank you. Welcome. So yeah, a, a long story short. <laughs> it was like that. It was kind of like um, in bits and pieces, like mm-hmm. how Healing Out Loud um, was created, um, which is a virtual practice space, um, exploring loud ass for storytelling, healing, and tools for sustainability. It's really a holistic mental health space okay. where people can heal, hear real, real stories, real people, real healing. That's mm. it. Uh, well, I'm glad you went through all of that because, you know, part of why I'm trying to develop this space for like the women who are either trying to enter podcasting or in it or just like obsessed with it and want to know more about it. It's like we don't always get to hear the progression story and like really hear the progression story and not just like, Oh, well I did this, this, and this as like just action separate from like our mental and emotional health that went along with those moments. And like, that's something that I really want to address. So I'm so glad. I mean, you already like started to answer like many of my questions already with that, which is amazing. Um, and, and part of the reason why I'm personally like obsessed with the work that you're doing and like, loving just totally adoring what you're doing and I say adoring because it's such yeah like it's it's something that I I was thinking about it earlier um because I was I was re-listening through a couple episodes and you brought up um Kulap um and specifically that second episode with her I don't think it was that long ago either but there's that line you say of like everyone wants to feel seen validated and heard and like that's something I really try and like bring into what I'm doing because I know that I'm only one person and I'm also like a white woman in America and I have only like, like I have to like seek out these stories and like learn, like I didn't know anything about Lao and like the Lao diaspora until I met you and I started to listen to your podcast. And like, that's, you know, that's not a space for me to need to come in and like get those resources. That's a space for me to come in and listen and just like quietly listen and like learn about it, you know? And, but along with that, like you, a lot of the work that you do like touches on transgenerational trauma. And that's like, that's my shit. Like when I learned about that, like there is no going back after learning about that and how like all communities need to be implementing like that way of like understanding, like there's so much healing that needs to be done like across communities. And there's so much lack of access to that knowledge and like knowing how to do that. And so specifically with your podcast, like I just, it's so amazing and necessary that you're doing it through storytelling and you're doing it through like reframing these narratives. People like understand kind of these 
progressions through their life through, I think, like a different lens. And like one of my questions for you about that is like, given who you've been able to speak with and um, all the stories that you've gotten to hear, like, I guess I wonder, have you, have you had moments like after you've spoken to particular people of them reaching back out to you or like sharing with you how just even like having that moment to talk on the podcast has been like a moment in their journey of healing. Like, I just wonder kind of the continued relationship that happens after you get to talk with these people and how that goes. If you have like any specific moments. Um, I would say um, there's been many moments. Yeah. Um, But honestly, when I have brought guests on and, you know, I usually you go towards like uh, the people that, you know, your homies and people Mm -hmm. that already (laughs) have so much insight. They just need a platform. You create that platform. Um, And so I would say that um, there's been uh, lots of moments where I have felt that um, we have, both like transformed through this, this work. And, you know, I don't say that lightly. I mean, um, even Wanda, who I was talking about earlier, who she, you know, has from the very beginning, I mean, she didn't even know what this podcast was going to really be about. I didn't know what it was going to be. about. (laughs) I was just like, let's just do it. (laughs) Let's just risk what's going to happen. And then we'll address it. You know, when it one time uh needs to you know address it but basically it's just interesting and we process this too um openly and it for her sharing her story and her family hearing it for the first time and tell you like you know she's in her 30s now and so it was just interesting how you know her family was never able to hear her out fully and completely and how when she told her story it actually brought her family closer together and I think just shows like the power of storytelling in a space that is truly safe Mm -hmm. and and non-judgmental I would also share that, you know, there's been a lot of people who've been really, I would say, nervous about their story being out and open publicly because there are very intimate moments that we share in a dialogue because um, there's something very unique about being able to um, dialogue, uh, you know, and really provide a safe space because a lot of times our communities are not given that you know, mm-hmm. uh, a non-judgmental space because there's so much judgment in the world. And then we bring that into our conversations, even within friend groups, um, yeah. especially if we're not aware and, you know, and it could really, I think, uh, create more animosity. But for me, it's, it's really about, okay, let me hear you out. You know, let me give you that space. So people are more open and willing to share some very deep and vulnerable parts of themselves, which also is risky because, mm-hmm. you know, this is the first time you're going to be sharing this and it's going to be accessible for the world. Yep. You know, that's the end. <laughs> yep. anything could happen. So it's a huge risk. And so I've had people who are very nervous or they've needed, you know, extra um, care for releasing their episode, which I think... Sorry, how do you uh, to interrupt? But um, how do you handle that? Like as a host, like when you can, like when you're recognizing that either happening in the moment or even just the the aftermath of it, like prepping them before it comes out. Is that something you like? How do you take that on if you do? Yeah, you know what? Um, I I'm very transparent with them and just letting them know that hey, you know, you have every right to again reject the release of it um, publicly, but also. I also let them feel more comfortable, try to help them understand that their story has a lot of power to it and to let them know that, you know, sometimes it is very nerve wracking to share something so deep and so vulnerable that you haven't ever shared even to your family, um, to a more public space. So I have to be very gentle, you know, in the way that I I do communicate, you know, how this is going to be publicized. um, And then just to, and then, you know, just ease them into that process and you know maybe they'll want to hear the episode before mm-hmm. um, it gets released so I'll do that or just whatever makes them feel comfortable because again no one's forced to um, share something that they're not comfortable with sharing because again once you publish it there's no yeah tracking it and so um, it's interesting because it's kind of like after 
it gets released and after the people get to listen to it then they get that feedback and then they become like then they understand like what it's really like to share your story so powerfully for somebody to hear it and and for you to like not experience um you know of course there's gonna be backlash and 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 yeah but I'm saying like overall for somebody else in your community who um, looks up to you for you, them to hear you speak so powerfully. I think that in itself is like a reinforcer to continue to share your story and to be proud as ever. Um, I would say those are the moments that I am most proud about because again, like no one has created something like this, not that I know of, like, you know, in terms of like a podcast form. And so I mm-hmm. wanted to make sure that I create things that I think are important to shift public perspective on our community and how we want to take back our narratives. It's like for and by us. And so I would say it's definitely uh, an emotional experience, but it's so rewarding to be able to create and, and level up that intimacy in mm-hmm. a community that's been so fragmented. Um, in the very beginning of our time in the United States. Yeah. Okay, one more important PSA. Here's my challenge for you. Take a screenshot right now of this episode and share on social media with a tag to Poderland and the guest. I want to know that you're listening and I want to shout you out. Also, are you signed up for Poderland's email list yet? Because as much as I love social media and connecting through there, I'm also preparing for its demise. And I want to make sure that I stay in touch with you and we have control over our communication. Not only will you get important updates about this show, you'll get recommendations of other women hosted podcasts, news related to podcasters you love, discounts on my cute ass merch and much more. Okay, let's get back into this interview. So you've talked a little bit about like personally how it's affected you. And I know like when you were starting it, you were kind of dealing with imposter syndrome and just um, still like you got to a place of growth, but you were still getting to a place of growth. And so now it's been a little over a year. And specifically, I want to ask you um, if you're down to talk about it, but like I want to ask you about those episodes with your mom because I was so amazed. Like I was just amazed by those ones in particular because that is like one of the in my opinion one of the most vulnerable things and also just like how like I guess I'm having so many questions at once this always happens to me um and I'm like slow down like I gotta like map it out but um but like it's something that just really resonated with me because I think about kind of the changing conversations with my own parents of just like the really different generational experiences and also how I feel like I'm someone who is deeply entrenched in like healing work because of like my own sexual trauma that I've experienced and like finally dealing with it. And it, it is like what you're talking about. Like it's so, it's so freeing when you don't have to hide what your story is and you can just speak honestly and like in confidence of like knowing what your, your own like experience in history is like, I wonder like when you asked your mom to do that, was it like a okay for sure or was it I don't know that's a very public forum to do that in and I think it's so powerful to hear but I just I wonder how that's like affected you personally like not just doing it but like now having done it and also since having released that episode like has that continued to have ripple effects with your not just your mom but I know you like your father and like things that you've mentioned um in that conversation with her oh (laughs) for that question it's so beautiful yeah it's so interesting because you know I actually don't think I've been able to fully process the release of the episode yet and it's been I think a month and a half since I released it and honestly I'm like oh my gosh I'm so caught up with my own life that I haven't really been able to uh, really dive deep into what that meant for me and my family, my mom, my relationship with my mom. And so, you know, when I did that episode, it honestly, like in the beginning, I never thought we would come to that point. And I never thought I would come to um, be able to bring my mom into my own project because for so long I've separated my personal and professional life. And this project was like, nah, bitch, like you need to like put both in there. <laughs> That's who you are. Like you cannot be separate. 
separating your personal professional. That is just who you are. The personal is political. Yeah. So I yes. think I had like a hard confrontation. One hundred percent with myself. <laughs> You know, it's, yes. it's really, that's really it. And I think as millennials, like we are so, I think, ingrained in making sure that uh, we we don't leave who we are outside of these, um, you know, professional spaces. At least that's that's how I see it. But I would say that, you know, in the beginning of Healing Out Loud, it's interesting because I launched this without having really that much contact with my family, specifically with my parents, because there's huge um, argument and uh, altercation that, that happened verbally. It left me feeling really unsupported. And so it kind of got released. And, you know, it was this whole... I, you know, built this persona of being like, you know, the healer um, of the, the loud diaspora, but not really confronting family trauma myself. And yeah. so it kind of felt very um, out of line, kind of. And I had to have that hard conversation with myself and, and, and really confront, you know, my own insecurities and really say that, hey, Rita, like, you know, am I really setting an example if I'm having these issues? And of course, every family has issues, but how are you going to facilitate that healing process? How are you going to teach other people um, how you do it? Because people are going to want answers to their questions. Um, and maybe you won't provide, you know, you're not going to be the one who, you know, answers or is the one that needs to answer their questions, but at least you need to answer your own. Yeah. So for me, you know, I think it came at a very solid time when, you know, my brother came and he's actually kind of like the glue of the family. Mm. And, you know, when I'm like kind of retreating, I'm in, you know, my safe bubble in LA. <laughs> he comes yeah. knocking on the door. He's like, nah, you need to come back home and you need to figure this shit out. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, I guess. Um, so I think it, it was very healing for him to actually come to LA and to visit me and to have our brother sister talk because he's the closest to me and my family, my older brother. And so um, it was great to have conversations with him that helped me feel a little bit safer. Yeah. Because at first I wasn't feeling safe to go home because there's just so much animosity already built up and tension. But again, I was like, Rita, like you need to confront this and if not now, when, right? And my uh, mantra for a lot of times is not, not time that, it's not time that heals all wounds, it's what you do in that time. So it was important for me to now reconcile with that aspect in my uh, journey as I was entering into like what episode eight, nine, it was just like, I was diving deep into, you know, um, uh, my my podcast and still having have not confronted this it just seemed out of line for me so then you know going home I honestly was thinking of, of just getting like content I think the first um uh, in season one for example I think I was just interested in making sure that I allowed my mother to tell her story because I didn't um I don't think anyone's ever given her that space. Like yeah. she's kind of like the person that also is just, she shows up with unconditional love. I mean, like that's the thing is that when I went home, you know, never fails to ask me if I'm hungry. And, you know, that's just how she is as a mom, no matter what happened between us, like she's able to push back past that, forgive. Um, you know, maybe she'll still hold resentment, but she still shows <laughs> up as a mom. Yeah. And so um, for me, I was like, okay, like I think, part of my healing is being able to heal with my mom too, because there's a lot of things that happened with my mom, me and my mom. And I think that I was the easy target, you know, growing up um, for whatever reason. And it was time to really have those difficult conversations because I, you know, I can't even imagine not talking to her right now, like in coronavirus and uprisings that are happening. And so I think it was a very appropriate time then, you know, not knowing this was going to happen. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I gave her that space to talk about um, her life story and asked her as well. Like, has anyone ever asked you these questions? Like, no, never. Yeah. It's mainly my dad. My dad gets like the, the, the spotlight most of the time because he's a storyteller. You know, he's mm -hmm. the one who's naturally, you know, good at that. But, and then, my mom is there as a caregiver, a caretaker. And again, you know, you see all these roles, uh, gender roles are taking place. And I was like, no, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to feed into those gender roles. Like I'm, I am going to, you know, try to, you know, heal myself and then, you know, heal this relationship with my mom so she can feel empowered. 
that she too has an important story. And, mm-hmm. and so part of me, my advocacy is like advocating, you know, for myself and other women that get treated like this, you know, in, in family dynamics. So anyway, so I was able to inter- interview her, but then I honestly did not know that I would still be recording on, um, um, so, you know, we, we talked about, you know, her life and, and what she wanted to do and, and how she came to the U S with my dad. Um, and then slowly we transitioned into <laughs> the, the freaking like fight that we had. And oh, so that was unplanned. It was unplanned. Like I wow. was like, and I didn't know I was going to record it at that time. I knew we were going to talk about it, but I didn't know we were going to record it. Yeah. <laughs> I think so, I was like, I'm thinking about it now. So did it become a decision of like, after you realized being like, okay, I'm going to put all of this out. Or was that just like the obvious answer after you just let, let it roll and then ended it? Like once you realized it had already been happening. It was, I think maybe not as thought out. Like I didn't know if it was going to be part of like another season, if it's going to be part of season one, it was just like kind of when you're thinking about um, editor and you're like, you know, you have multiple hats and roles. You're mm-hmm. just like, let me just like record it all. And we'll figure out later, like yeah. how to piece all this in. But at the very least I wanted my mom's story and her to tell the story, but I didn't realize that until later on when I was writing um, uh, for a grant, that I was like, oh, this would actually be a perfect time to release this episode about me and my mom mending our relationship because I think in order to really um, be, you know, a credible, like, like healer, you know, uh, activist or um, pra- mental health practitioner in this field is like really doing the inside work. Yeah. Really home. And confronting that, um, it's not going out in the communities. It's not really about you know change, like your structural change. Of course, all that it takes takes place. But how are you having those difficult conversations? Number one, with the family, with the people that you grew up with, and not cutting them off. Because I think I see a lot of times that people are like, okay, I just I can't, you know, like or they need to keep people out of their lives, like in order to protect their mental. Absolutely, you know, boundaries are super important. But, you know, I think it's also important to have those difficult conversations that can be so transformative and you have to believe and have hope that people can transform. So transformative justice is so difficult. Yeah. People lose sight and lose hope because of burnout. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was like, okay, I can't lose hope. My own family, I have to believe that there is a different way of possibility. There has to be, you know? And so for me, like... When it when you cross on the other side, you're like, whoo, like, dang, I didn't know that was possible until it happened. It just leads to more possibility. It leads to more transformation, to more growth. And, you know, having that conversation did bring my mother and I like closer together. And that was exactly what I wanted. But it took so much emotional energy and labor to to make it happen, to make it possible, which is why I think, you know. I never say that this is easy work. It's never easy work, but it is so, it can be so worth it. It's so rewarding. And that's what I wanted to demonstrate and illustrate to the loud diaspora, not only loud diaspora, just people who are suffering yeah. from abandonment issues, neglect or trauma from, from the caregivers. Um, and, you know, I think that that's a, that can be a universal story, but specifically in the loud context, it happens so often that I needed to have that as like a climax, if you will, like, you know, the breaking point of the podcast to really highlight like, Hey, you know, I'm here for the real deal. Like Mm -hmm. this is not surface level material. Mm -mm, I'm not about surface level. I'm about to go in deep, you know, we're going (laughs) oceans deep, you know, like we're confronting these traumas and, and, and we're doing it to the core. And, and, you know, if my story needs to be a case study, so be it. That's my purpose in life. So that's where it landed us. And so now me and my mom, you know, we talk, you know, not every day, but you know, every week at least and try to really make sure that we stay in each other's lives. And I know she has the best interests. Like, you know, she, she wishes the best for me. Yeah. That's so beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) It's like truly heartwarming and just also like encouraging because I, I think, 
like specifically with the pandemic stuff, like it's brought up a lot of things that I think people haven't dealt with. Like I know like personally, like me and my family are kind of dealing with some shit because we have disagreements about, you know, like, and it just, it, it, and it's never just that one thing if you haven't dealt with all the other stuff. And so it's just like, everything's kind of like, just coming up, you know, and right. we, we have to deal with it. And so I'm actually listening to that episode and recently listening to the the episode two with Kulop. Like I was like, wow, this is this is useful information for me with just thinking about like dynamics with my parents and how I can approach conversations that that we haven't had open dialogue about because it just wasn't something, at least in my house, that I grew up with in a certain way, especially in terms of like disagreements. Like that's something you bring up on, on that episode too, about being able to disagree and also like be in conflict, like, cause we have yeah. to figure out how to be in conflict, like, and be okay with disagreeing sometimes without like hating each other. Um, and that's something I'm definitely learning. And I feel like podcast space, like the fact that you did that on the podcast, except now learning that that was like unplanned half of it I, is amazing. Um, but like, <laughs> Just that like that, I think probably part of the reason why that evolved in that space is because like when we're doing this, like when we're just solely focusing on each other and there is like a weird thing about like, I don't know when you're, when you're recorded. And again, this came up when talking about like document, when Kulap was talking about her, her documentary story, the origin story, right? Um, like, just like, I don't know, there's something that happens with people, like something turns on and they like go where they don't normally go and i feel like that's something that podcasting allows for which is like really cool um and just i don't know so i think i think that's so so awesome and i'm glad that i'm glad to hear that that's like continually been of like positive effect even after it coming out because like we talked about like the release of it is a whole different animal than yeah, like the actual act of doing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, so I could talk about this forever, but I do have to start. We're getting to like the final questions that I want to ask, like rapid fire questions for okay, you. Okay, rapid fire. Let's go. All right. <laughs> um, so first question is who would you name or who, like if there's multiple, that's fine too. So who would you name as like, podcast mentor mentor and like someone you emulate and feel inspired by whether it's someone you know or it's someone that you just love their work and if it's like two or three people that's fine <laughs> okay <laughs> oh my goodness like oh that's a hard rapid fire question um so oh my gosh i'm flipping out on their names long um what no i put you on the spot <laughs> oh long distance yeah, long distance. The podcast on the Philippines diaspora. Yeah, that one's dope. Yeah, hella dope. Okay, okay. Um, this is a little bit of a follow-up, but a little different. Like right now, what are oh. some what are some podcasts that you're like actively listening to and like loving? Oh, actively listening to? Um, actually, let me pull up my. <laughs> I'm, it's random, but like I mm-hmm. depend again depending on my mood, like yep. my health status. I'm like, what do I need right now? Um, so I, um, uh, started listening to Truth Be Told. Uh, Love Truth Be Told. Yeah, actually, so good. Yeah, it's so good. Um, I forgot the log line, but basically, you know, they do have really important topics and, you know, confronting like their latest ones dealing with homophobia at home or mm. they'll, they had like, um, ones they brought like Adrian Marie Brown, who I follow her on like different yeah. social media platforms. Yeah. So like they interviewed her. So I was like, oh my God, I got listen to this <laughs> on hers. Um, yeah. And then, oh, um, one of my good friends um, who went to the work at festival with you, Isa. Um, oh. A, um, a social engagement producer for them. Isa Mendoza? Yeah. I really want to interview her. I haven't reached out to her yet, but she's someone on my list that I want to oh bring gosh. on here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can connect y'all too. Yeah. She's and freaking credible like i'm telling you like it's it's amazing like i'm still i'm so happy we're <laughs> <So> like <laughs> yeah that and then like i've been listening to different um oh esther perel i would oh my gosh Have i don't you know that one no no esther perel is uh, um she's a marriage family um therapist and oh, so mm. like a multicultural like very intersectional life. oh yes me and my boyfriend could use that for sure we like want we've like wanted to do it but we just can't afford it and 
you know. It's expensive for sure. No, listen, yeah. her, she does therapy on couples and it's okay. in a podcast form. Okay, cool. And it's like, um, where should we begin? Um, and so she has been so insightful um, and works with like trans couples too, like oh, queer cool. couples, like in she's been so many countries like she has a huge platform um but yeah now she has um one uh podcast where she's a host um where they talk about work work relationships oh dope oh that's, that's fantastic really cool. yeah oh so needed <laughs> uh final question is where can our listeners find what you're working on follow you and how can they support your work yeah, beautiful. So you can find everything about Healing Out Loud on my website, www.healingoutloud.org and loud's L-A-O-D. And you can follow Healing Out Loud at Healing Out Loud on social media, on Instagram. That's probably the biggest platform that Healing Out Loud is on, as well as Facebook and then Twitter. And you can email me, healingoutloud at gmail.com, you know, for any inquiries, anything that, you know, any feedback or just about your perspectives on on how this movement is for you, what you've learned about the Loud diaspora if you're not a part of um, the Loud diaspora. Yeah, at me at at Rita Mixa, if you're trying to at me <laughs> <laughs> on my uh, personal politicized page. Uh, but, uh, besides that, yeah, yeah, you can support as well um, if you um, have uh, the financial means to support this movement. You know, all costs are really going towards like editing, like transcription, you know, all the different sites that like, you know, in order to promote Healing Out Loud. So Healing Out Loud is on um, Apple Podcasts, it's on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play. Um, and if you do have the financial means, um, I'm also on Patreon. You know, you can become a monthly sustainer on there. And then um, as well as uh, PayPal, you know, I can send uh, Alexandra the, the links to all. Yes, definitely. We'll put it all in the show notes. Awesome. For sure. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for chatting. It was so nice to like get to talk to you out loud. I know. Like, <laughs> meet you for so long. I know. Like, <laughs> like, like, cybering like each other is like, ooh, like, you know. Our original music is produced by Carrie Blue, and everything else is produced by me, myself, and I, Miss Alexandra Cole. And you can follow me on Instagram at Podraland, P-O-D dot D-R-A-L-A-N-D, or Twitter at Podraland, minus the period. And you can find more of what I do on Podraland at www.podraland.com, where I recommend women-hosted podcasts and feature indie women podcasters. So I hope to see you there. Feel free to subscribe to the newsletter. You'll get recommendations and updates about this podcast. And finally, make sure to share this episode, tag us in it, like that shit, give us a review. Anything you do helps not just this podcast get more exposure, but also helps these women's voices be heard by way more people. And ultimately, that's our goal. So let's fucking do it. Do it.